0: All right. Hey, welcome, everybody, uh, online or in the room. It's great to have you guys here. Uh, If you would like to read Ashley's story, because we have everybody write their story and they get baptized. One, so they would know how to tell their story, but secondly, so you can read it and celebrate with them. Uh, We'll have a blog this week. There's going to be a thing that goes up about this as well. You can go to our website and grab that and read her story because it's great. It's great. Uh, I think almost everybody who read her story cried and I, I didn't, I guess some I'm hard-hearted or something, I don't know, but my, my wife cried and a couple people in the office cried, but you might read it and want to cry too, so you should check that out, it's great. So, welcome to you if you are in Lompoc or Santa Maria or Vandenberg Air Force Base, Napomo, Rio Grande, Orkut, which is where we are, Texas, Colorado, Utah, Tennessee, uh, Mexico, Alaska, Kuwait... I've actually asked Jonathan Whitaker, who is stationed in Kuwait right now, and he, and he watches and he participates, to send you a little hello video at some point. So hopefully we'll get that up for you as well and you'll be able to see that. I have one thing before we start today, and that is a week and a half ago in the email update, uh, I wrote it and I said that they wanted the applications for the Holiday Bazaar by the end of July that was wrong. I misspoke. What they want is they're going to start putting out the applications at the end of July. They don't want them in the July. And I attached all this stuff and I got into a little bit of trouble for it, <laughs> which is normal for me. So it's just part of the course. But if you wanted to participate in the holiday bazaar this year, the applications will be available at the end of July. Yay. Alright, so uh welcome again. If you are watching online, you have an app. It is called UVersion. You click on more and then events in U version. You're going to type in the zip code 93455 if you are in the room. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone if you open that app. And you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me the reading of God's Word? And for you at home, this is the reading of God's Word. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us how to begin to serve one another. As uh, Ainsley talked about in her video, that a way to serve one another is to reach out to the community around us and those who are hurting in all the places that they are. And I ask that you would teach us how to see those needs, that your spirit would guide us in those places to learn how to be all things to all men as we live out the good news of the gospel in this world. And we ask that in your son's good name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Uh, this is week 26 going through the second part of the book of Acts. The second part of the book of Acts is covering chapter 13 through the end of the book and mostly follows the apostle Paul, though it does have some excursions in a couple of places. Paul today is going to come to the city of Jerusalem. This is where God has been calling him to eventually go. He is showing up at this thing called Pentecost. Almost every other person thinks Paul is just a big dummy for going to Jerusalem during Pentecost because they all think he is either going to be imprisoned or killed or both of those things. I think it's kind of like how certain scientists felt when we did the the moon launches and they're like man these astronauts are going to the moon they may not come back. Well Jerusalem is Paul's moon and he's kind of shot there on a trajectory by God and so Paul's going to get there and today's message isn't necessarily about determining God's will. Uh, last week was a little bit about walking through hardships and trusting God in the midst of that. But at the outset, I did want to give you a couple pointers for that. I didn't get them in last week's message because it was too long at that point. But I just wanted to start off giving you some ways to maybe be able to listen and hear God's will a little bit better before we get into talking about what we talk about today because it all does go together. Uh, throughout uh, history, a lot of commentators have talked about learning God's will through these things called the four councils. The four councils the first one is called the counsel of God's word. That is the Bible. That's the scriptures. We we read the scriptures and the Bible to see what it actually says, not what we think it says, not what other people have said, but what it actually says. So we read God's word. The second thing is called the counsel of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is a person. It's not a force. He is living. He is active in the world and he will lead and guide us and we build a relationship with him and so we are quiet and we listen when he speaks so we know where to go. This then leads into what is called the council of conscience. Uh, the Holy Spirit will take and steer our consciences certain directions. But again, we need to be silent to begin to hear where God is leading us. And I think when we listen to our conscience as the Spirit guides us, it helps us to better understand. And then the fourth one is called the counsel of others, other people in our lives. God will lead people there to help us. And I think a heart that is filled with God's Spirit is renewed and restored, and we can better know God's will for our lives life. The church father Augustine once said, "'Love God and do whatever you please.'" And that freaks out a lot of people today because we think whatever we please is all about me. But when he says that, what he's saying is when we love God, we will want what God wants so we can live that way. I think Christians who really do want to know God's will can begin to know it. And so we seek good advisors, and that means you're discerning on who you choose to let advise you in your life. If it's all your crazy friends who have nothing to do with Jesus, that's not a good advisor, okay? We need good advisors. Second time is we spend time with God regularly. Every single day. Like in my life, before I have big decisions coming up, I spend time with God, but not just that, but every single morning, the first thing I do is I get up, I'll read the scriptures, I will pray, I have another book along with that that I will read something else as I go through these things. Some days I'm really busy, and that's maybe 10 minutes. Some days I'm not so busy, and that's maybe half an hour. But every day I get up, and the first thing I try to do is spend time with God. And then the third thing is remember that God's will may not be what you. You want. Uh, sometimes it is, and that is awesome when it happens, but, but sometimes it's not. It's kind of like that story of that little boy who got a gift from his grandma for Christmas, and he wrote a very honest thank you note, and he says, thank you for the present, grandma. I was wanting a new book, just not very much. You know, and so sometimes, you know, when God leads us in a place, it's like, thanks God, I wanted to know your will. I guess just not this much, because he leads us into some places. And fourthly, if we know what God wants us to do, we should simply do it. Which then we do it because many times for most of us the problem is not always knowing God's will. The problem is actually just doing it when He calls us to. Like when God calls us to something, we should just do it. This could be a conversation with someone we don't want to have. This could be a uh, maybe maybe God's calling you to be generous and you don't really want to be. Maybe God's calling you to serve in some place or some ministry. Uh, It could even be here lighting up and don't need to laugh at my jokes. The will of God, I think. Anyway, uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Uh, This is all going to kind of go together because Paul does get to Jerusalem today. God wanted him to go. A lot of people said, don't go, but he went because it was God's will. There are probably about 2 million people during this large national event called Passover and Pentecost in Jerusalem at this time. And so Paul's going to get there. It's going to start well for about one day, and then it's going to start to get a little weird. But what Paul will do is in living in the will of God, as God leads him, he will do it. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And you will see Paul definitively do this today in the Scripture. So Acts uh, Acts 21, starting in verse 17, that's where we left off. Last week. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things God, that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So, Paul meets the brothers, it's a great thing, and then the very next day, he goes and he meets with the leadership of the Jerusalem church. Most likely, this is about 70 elders, because that's how typical Jewish councils were put together, with 70 leaders in them. So, it's a large group, everyone's getting questioned, Paul's getting questioned over and over, and I think Paul talks about two things, trying to be all things to all men as he talks to these elders. Now, the first one is that he's talking about all the amazing things that God has been doing, through uh, the Spirit speaking and leading people, how even maybe there were these riots in Ephesus, but they came about because of the social impact of the gospel. He probably explains the power of the gospel in Athens and Corinth, how he escapes assassinations and how his two companions who are with him now, which is Trophimus of Asia and Segundus of the Thessalonians, both now believe in the good news of the gospel. The second thing I think Paul talks about, though Luke doesn't mention in Acts, Paul does in Romans chapter 15, that at this point too, he brought this love offering to the church in Jerusalem. Now, a love offering is a collection that Paul had taken up from all of these Gentile churches because the church in Jerusalem was poor, they were struggling, they had a lot of issues, and so Paul takes up from all these also poor churches around the areas, these Gentile churches, a money offering to bring it back to this church in. Jerusalem. I think that's a large part of why Paul wanted to get there by Pentecost. Uh, Paul in Romans 15 will tell you he feared it was even going to be rejected because there is a strong rising uh, anti-outsider Jewish sentiment. The Jews didn't want any Gentiles really involved in anything. It was essentially racism. And Paul going there is trying to stop that. By taking this gift, Paul wants these Jewish believers in Jerusalem to see that the Gentile believers actually cared for them. It's a way to try and bring them together. And the Jerusalem church accepts the offering. It says they glorified God. Seems to be going well, but the second half of verse 20, one day in, says, and they said to him, you see brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. It's like, well you have Gentile converts, we've got a lot of Jewish converts now. They are all zealous for the law. And whenever you read that, you've got to go, Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. guess that's that's an uh uh-oh. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Now Paul, as well as everybody else, knows that when he gets to Jerusalem it is not going to be easy. There are riots in Antioch, he's stoned in Lystra, he's beaten in Philippi, there's more riots in Thessalonica, he's run out of town in this place called Berea, and all of those things were essentially Jewish instigated. There are court cases and also anti-Jewish violence in Corinth, then those 25,000 chanting pagans in Ephesus, and Paul goes, that's how bad it is there, I'm sure it's going to be just as bad in the home church." But why were things worse in Jerusalem? Well, You go to the first part of Acts that we did, you know, a few years ago, those first 12 chapters. God is continually trying to open up His people's arms and hearts and lives to those around them. But they are becoming more and more closed off. The last thing you saw in Acts part 1 was this guy named Cornelius who was a Gentile. And yet he believes and the Holy Spirit comes and saves their entire family. They are baptized and he wasn't circumcised. God tells Peter, this is okay. In Acts 15, the church will write a letter telling a lot of Gentiles... No, you don't need to be circumcised. And all these were good things, but with that, bad started to arise. Like, the gospel spread further in Jerusalem. More Jews believed. That's a great thing. But those who had believed in Jesus in Jerusalem were zealous for the law. They aren't zealous for the gospel. They aren't zealous for grace, the good news. They're zealous for the Mosaic law, and that's a bad thing. You know, they didn't understand full salvation by grace. Now there are thousands of converts and in the Jerusalem church now who are all like Paul before Paul met Jesus. They were righteously indignant for God's honor, and for them that meant keeping the whole Old Testament law. There was this view that all people needed to come to the temple to worship God. They had to come here. Rather than going out into the world, they had to come here. I think this is one of the reasons in A.D. 70 God allowed that temple to be destroyed. You know, today, there are a lot of people who are very excited that the temple may be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And I have no idea why we're excited about that. Because Jesus was our final sacrifice. There is no longer this need for a temple. And yet, these people wanted people to come there. They also believed that everybody outside of Israel needed to come to Israel. And that one day, God would vindicate that nation and rise it above every other nation. They made everything about themselves and not about God's work in the world. Imagine it's like this, you've got those people who, who killed Jesus, now they say they believe in Jesus, but if Jesus actually showed up, they'd probably try to kill him again, because he wasn't what they actually wanted. Now, the Jerusalem leaders tell Paul, all these zealous people, they have been told about you. And you have to ask, okay, by who? Uh, who's talking about him? Who's spreading these rumors? Who made them up? And has the church there been trying to remind people of grace, or just going along with this terrible theology? It's kind of like Jesus will eventually say to that church in Ephesus that you have lost your first love. And this is kind of what happens here. It kind of happens with us a lot. We get so involved in all of our causes that we forget our first love. Um, and in that, when we do that, we start to latch on to things and spread rumors rather than spreading the gospel. There's this old story of a woman uh, who repeated some gossip about her neighbor. Within a short time, the whole town hears about it because that's how good gossip goes, right? It just spreads really fast. The person who is gossiped about, they are unhappy, they're hurt, and the lady responsible for spreading the rumor eventually finds out. Oh, it wasn't actually true. She doesn't know what to do. She feels terrible. She goes to the village elder and she says, "What do I do?" And he said, Go go to the marketplace, purchase a fowl, which, which is a bird like a chicken, and then have it killed, and then on the way home, pluck its feathers and just strew them along the way as you go home. So she does that. Thought it was weird, but okay. So the next day she goes back and she says, well, now what? He says, today I want you to go out back along that path, and I want you to pick up all of those feathers. Well, the wind had blown overnight, and she goes out and she can't find but like two or three of the feathers, and she comes back and she hands them to him, and he says, this is what it's like. Gossip. False rumors. It's easy to drop these things, but it's impossible to bring them back. He says it doesn't take much to spread a false rumor, but you can never completely undo the wrong. And this is something that we as Christians need to learn. When we when we talk about things and place things above the gospel, we are doing violence to the kingdom of God and we must speak about the gospel in real ways. Here it's Paul, there are thousands of Jewish Christians who are zealous for the law. They've been told that you're teaching all these Jews to forsake Moses. Why not stop that rumor cuz it's untrue? When they find out that you're here, what are we going to do? There could be trouble. Those are the Christians in Jerusalem. I, I almost called this message, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Because <laughs> that's what it's like. Paul didn't tell the Jews they didn't need to get circumcised. What he did is he told the Gentiles they didn't need to be circumcised, that they didn't need to become Jewish in order to become part of the kingdom of God. They were welcomed in by grace. And that's a far cry from telling Jews they should abandon their ancestral customs and traditions. Paul didn't do that. And the Jerusalem church seemed very quick to accommodate a lot of people that they brought in who had no break with the law whatsoever. One commentator says this, The statement at the end of verse 20, All of them are zealous for the law, was saying in effect, We are saved by grace, but we are kept saved by the law. We are kept saved by grace. We are kept saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the truth and the reality. And what Acts is now showing you that the church itself can become compromised when it is not focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead starts to focus on things like morality, ego, patriotism. And if you've seen anything in recent years, when people say the word evangelical Christian, they automatically associate that with the religious right. Why? Why wouldn't people in the world associate evangelical Christian with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't that happen? Because it's become so political. People today in America will say, well, I was born a Christian because they were born in America. That's not how it works. And guys, look, I love America. I have been to a lot of countries around the world. I think America is the best option. I love America. But America is not the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you that our president is not Jesus. Thank God, right? (laughs) And politics, while politics can be important, politics are not the gospel. And in Jerusalem, just like America, all these things become convoluted as tradition and patriotism took over God's call to love the lost and build the church where Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what the church was supposed to look like. And I hope you can see some of the parallels today. Instead of taking a stand for what is right, the church compromised the gospel, so, verse 23, this is what they tell Paul to do. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and fully purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. I don't know why you can't do that at home, but okay. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and Morality. Now we talked about that in another week that's so that Jews and Gentiles could share dinners and meals together and have community. Verse 26, then Paul took the men, the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification we fulfilled and the offering presented for each of them. So you got to ask, you know, Paul doesn't think this relates to salvation in any way, so why does Paul do this? Well, Paul does it because he loves the Jews. And Paul does it because he loves the Gentiles. And Paul does this because he loves Jesus. He is willing to do whatever it takes other than sin to bring peace in order to take the reality of the gospel where it needs to go. And this is why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak, I become all things to all means that by all possible means I might save some. Because I can tell you, I think I understand a bit where Paul is at as a church leader because it is so hard to navigate a lot of things with Christians and churches nowadays. I, I feel for a lot of our gospel communities or maybe you've been in a leadership at any point at some place in a church somewhere. There are so many people who come in who have their own pet issues that think that you or your gospel community or element must see whatever their pet issue is as the issue or we must not believe in the Bible or Jesus or just not very strongly. Uh, N.T. Wright, when he talks about these verses, says this, Zealots to the left of us, zealots to the right of us, zealots in front of us, volley and thunder, they're absolute and undoubted truths. While those of us who have to find a way through with real people who are struggling to live real lives and loyalty to the real Jesus know, but realize we simply cannot explain to such people that things are more complicated than that. And many times that's true, and that is what Paul is doing. It's a very complicated thing for him. Paul does everything he can to reach people without diluting the gospel. And Paul is going to go do this symbolic act, which I'm pretty sure that he knows would fail, but he does it to try and reach people. Now, the Jerusalem church is like, okay, this is going to save a little bit of faith. They're going to say, oh, look, there's Paul. He's purifying himself. He's paying for the expenses of these other men. He's following the laws of Moses. How can you accuse him of disloyalty? That's what they're hoping happens. But it's going to backfire completely, which we'll see next week when Eric talks about it. It just totally backfires. But what I want you to see today is why Paul did it. Because that's the attitude that we need to have. God is doing lots of things then and now to shake up His church out of places of complacency. And so what I want to talk to you about today is all things to all men. Why does Paul go along with the Jerusalem elders' advice? And the answer goes back to what I said. The answer is love. He loved. The Jewish nation. I am sure they drove him nuts with all the ways they did not understand the gospel of grace and freeing ways. Uh, Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, out of the NIV, Paul says this I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off. From Christ, for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Paul says, I wish I was damned and that they were saved. If I wish I could exchange myself for them. The only one who gets to exchange themselves for us is Jesus. Paul can't do that, but he says, I wish I could. That's how he felt. Paul goes and does these things because he wants to see unity in the church. He wants to bring people together. He didn't see anything wrong with the vows they necessarily asked him to undertake, but he knew they weren't about salvation at all. He didn't think the Jews needed to give up necessarily who they were and their heritage and all that, just realize what grace was and is so there could be solidarity between those Jewish and Gentile churches. And even today, unity in the church is still a major problem. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but it's a major problem. Many times churches and people, we get caught up in politics and traditions more than we ever have in Jesus. Now... How about this? So when I was writing this message last year, uh, two days before I wrote this message, uh, President Trump showed up at this church in Virginia that's pastored by a guy named David Platt. Trump didn't announce that he was coming. David Platt had no idea the president was going to show up, but he does. And so David Platt invites the president onto the stage, not to share anything, not to say anything, but simply to pray for him. And so Platt prays this gospel-centered prayer over the president of the United States because he's a gospel-centered guy. He's not some crazy crazy weirdo or anything like that he prays for the president of the united states he, the backlash against him was just crazy like how dare you pray for that guy guys i gotta, I gotta care I, I don't care how you feel about trump okay but we should all be praying for him and his salvation and if you do not like him or his policies why don't you start praying that he'd become the president that you wish you had why don't you start doing that because if you near my that would be a miracle right so start praying for that also prayed stop tweeting that would be good too but as followers of Christ how can we get mad at someone for praying for someone else if we put Jesus above everything else how there's another recent story i read About these two congregations back east, small town, aging populations, they decided we're going to merge our churches together so we can help reach our community a little bit better with more people in one church. So they had all these plans, but they never merged. Do you know why? Because they couldn't agree on how to say the Lord's Prayer. One group said, we want to say forgive our trespasses, and the other group said, no, it's got to be forgive us our debts. And they're like, so we're not going to merge. Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17. He talks to the Father, and He talks about unity. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, Jesus says, I am not asking on behalf of them alone, but also on behalf of those who will believe in Me through their message, through our message. That all of them may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly united, united. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them just as you have loved me. This is the vision that Paul had for that church that we so often lose. A church of Jews and Gentiles. That would be everybody. Everybody all the different skin colors on the earth coming together united. That is Republicans and Democrats and Independents and Libertarians all together taking the world by storm because we are focused first on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why Paul went along with the suggestion to go into this place and to do this purification ritual because he wanted to bring unity. He loved his lost nation more than his own life. He is willing to be all things to all men. Paul's strategy for winning and saving others was to use the freedom that God gave him to become a slave of all. Today, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. We chafe against anything we don't like. Like, ask the staff around here, when we go and do some type of uh, birthday breakfast one of the people on staff, and they want to go to some frou place where all I can get is like avocado toast, I go, but they know I'm not happy about it. <laughs> but then I go. Paul loves Jesus. He wanted to use all this freedom to serve others, even if it inconvenienced him. In 1520, the church reformer Martin Luther wrote this treatise called The Freedom of the Christian. This is how he begins it. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And he goes, Yes, that sounds like a contradiction. And he points to the Apostle Paul, first Corinthians nine nineteen, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. He points to Romans thirteen verse eight. Oh no one anything except to love one another. So this is what Luther says love by its very nature is ready to serve and be subject to him who is loved. All things to all men is centered in love. Paul's ultimate strategy and all that he does, and all that we should do as well, should be love. Galatians 5.13, You are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. When we hear freedom, we think, oh, it's what I get to do, it's everything I want to do. No, that freedom leads us to a place where we can learn how to serve one another because we no longer care about our ego or our pride. We put ourselves out there to begin to serve one another. We use our freedom to serve each other. Now you can see how Paul does this in the three things he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, To those who are under the law, I became as under the law, though not myself being under the law. And he says, to those who are without the law, I became without the law, though not being without the law of God. And then he says, but I am under the law of Christ. So, he says, I'm not under the law, I'm not without the law of God, I'm under the law of Christ. And people read that and they go, that makes no sense, I am so confused right now, it's so involved. But that's the kind of thinking, and I'll explain it to you in just a second, that we kind of have to have in order to love the world around us to be all things to all men. If we are going to learn to adapt in a way that doesn't water down or change the gospel and yet still connect to people in meaningful ways. Someone, I think it was Tim Keller once wrote this, If you ever have the guts to say, I want to be all things to all men, you end up sometimes on the brink of idolatry and compromise and worldliness and sin. It's like a razor's edge between glorifying God or glorifying someone or something else. If we fall one way, we're of no use because we have no connection with the world around us. We're like monks, we just separate ourselves from everybody. If we fall the other way, we're of no use because we're just like everyone around us. So how do we live our lives in a way that honors God and is still all things to all men? How do we use our passion and our freedom to win people and not just copy people? Well, that's what Paul talks about in those three things. The first one is this. As a Christian, you remember, you are not under the law. You do not have to earn your salvation. Jesus did it you you you're not bound to live by the law the ceremonial dietary separation laws of the old testament you don't have to circumcise your sons uh, you can eat ham and bacon and you can have meals and fellowship with people around you you can build community with anybody but the second thing he talks about he says as a christian we are not without god's law Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.19, Paul will say, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Now, if you read Paul's writings, you know that Paul is not saying that you are saved by the law, or that we are bound by the law. We are not. Circumcision was this commandment of God in the Old Testament, but is negligible for Christians. It doesn't matter. What he's talking about is who God has shown himself to be throughout the Scriptures. When we begin to love God because He has first loved us, it changes how we want to live in the world. We want to live differently. We want to be different people because we understand who God is. We don't want to murder or slander or become self-centered or buy boy band CDs or things like that, right? But it all starts with God himself and His rescue of us. And we see who God is throughout the Scriptures, and it makes us want to live and be different. And the third thing he says is we live under that law of Christ. Well, what is that? Anybody know? Love. Love. Galatians 6.2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. It's like the law of Christ is this law that fulfills all laws. Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what word in that statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is Paul talking about? Is it yourself? No. Is it neighbor? No. It's love. It's love. It is called the law of liberty, the law of freedom. That's the law that free people willingly submit themselves to because we are led by God's spirit. What is God's will for our life? To love God, love one another. How does that happen? By what God has first done for us. We bear the fruit of love and submit gladly to the law of Christ, which is the law of love. This means in freedom, for love's sake, we try to overcome all these unnecessary alienating differences that cut us off from people who don't believe in Jesus. And this could be a myriad of different ways, right? This could be how you dress, the words that we use, how uh, maybe you're in the other side of the world. and You're eating some really crazy thing you would never thought you'd eat in your life, but you do it for love's sake. And all the while, as we do it, there's this vigilant uh, watch that we keep over our own hearts, And to watch over our hearts, you then ask two questions. The first one, are we becoming more self-focused or more Christ-focused? That's the question. And if we become more self-focused, we're crossing the line of love and falling off on the wrong side. See, we we are not called to be a people who jettison our holiness like astronauts getting rid of their waste on the way to the moon. We are to live lives that honor God and love one another, and we help people to trust Jesus as we do. And the second question we ask is, is our passion for people knowing who Jesus is, is it growing or is it shrinking as we become all things to all men? And if it shrinks, then we've fallen off, you know, maybe on that other side of the line of, of the law of Christ, of, of love. We ought to understand That We are saved by the goodness of Jesus Christ. We have to understand the gospel. This is what everything comes back to. Jesus died to set us free. He died to set us free from the wrath of God. He died to set us free from the loveless limits of the law. And so the question becomes for us, like Paul, where he is, is are we using our freedom to make the good news plain? Are we using our freedom that God has given us to make our lives about ourselves or about Him? This is why when God saves us, He does not just pull us out of the world. And we are called not of this world, but He leaves us in the world to be His ambassadors in the world. And how do we become those ambassadors? By looking at the things Paul said in that, by understanding what the gospel really is, and how we are saved, and our rescue, and what God has done to bring us in as a people. It is all about what God has done to rescue us. And we become a people who become humble and become undone by his goodness and grace. And we begin to live in that love. This is one of the reasons every week at Element we talk about this thing called communion. It's the reminder of what God did in love to rescue us as a lost and a broken people. And so if you're in the room, you can take communion. They're they're sealed, they're single use. You can open up, take the cracker if you want to. You could break it or just dip in the grape juice or pop them both if you want. If you're at home, you can grab some bread and some juice or wine, whatever you'd like, and be able to take communion. But as you do that, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us to bring us to himself, to draw us in so that we could be rescued and saved. And in understanding our own rescue, we live out the great freedom we have to become all thanks to all men, never diluting the gospel, but being able to reach people where they are by loving them where they're at. Uh, I'm going to invite the band to come up. As they do, uh, they're going to do a couple songs you know, to bring kind of the service together, and I invite you to take communion uh, if, if you need prayer. Uh, maybe you're in a place today where you just don't know how to walk that line. You know, what does that look like, that line between, you know, not falling off on being a monk side and not falling off on being like everybody else in the world side and you kind of struggle with that well we'd love to be able to pray with you through some of those things and where we can't you know we have to social distance and stuff but if you would like to you know pray you can talk to one of the guys in the sound booth or one of the people on the stage or one of the people greeting on the way in and, we, and we'd and love to pray with you if you're online uh, you can go to the side of the YouTube stream and type in a prayer request there uh, you can send an email to connectorelement.org if you'd like one of our elders to call you and get a hold of you and pray with you this week they, they love to do that being all things to all men if you've if so far you know watched paul's journey and what he does it's not easy i know we talk about it like you know, once a week on a sunday morning what paul went through stuff like oh okay if you look at his life it was not easy but he continued to live in it because it was god's call for his life If you want to know God's will for your life, God's will is love, serve, glorify Him because He has first loved and first blessed you. And so we become a people who do that as well, living out the great blessings that we have first received. Because our God loves us so much. Uh, if you're in the room and you would like to give, there's offering boxes next to every wall. We give simply because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always meant to be a response to what God has done. If you're online, you can give online through the website, so we can you know help and support ministries like Freedom Calling that we talked about a little bit ago. Uh, and I would encourage you you know this week to you know uh, look at the sermon notes in the U version. And look at some of the stuff so you'd be able to see some of the questions to ask one another. How to spur one another on to be all things to all men as we serve and love and glorify Christ and all that we do. Because he is good. Let's be a people who use the freedom that God has so graciously given us to love those around us and serve those around us. In the fullness of what the gospel brings. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand our freedom and that the freedom that we have is not about ourselves and looking inward, but it's to push us outward, to begin to see the world as you do. Father, if I am honest, it's so easy to get so self-focused about my comfort and my own needs and what drives me nuts and how I think... Other people should think the way that I do about, you know, miscellaneous issues that in the end have nothing to do with salvation. And so I ask that you would teach me and all of us in here how to live in ways that place the gospel above everything else. And when we have conversations and when we enter into people's lives, that would be central to how we speak and why we speak the way that we do, and why we live the way that we do. And I would ask for the church itself, as a people, that you would also take us, and that you'd begin to unify us. And you'd teach us how to love those who who see politics or music or whatever just a little bit differently than we do, but we can come and center around what the gospel is. That is your rescue of us, and that is what would unify us. Because we'd be unified in you. Have us be those who glorify you by how we are unified. And serve and love those around us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.